Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week on the show, I bring you news from the forefront of healing. We talk to doctors, we talk to professors, we talk to scientists, we talk to researchers, we talk to healers, we talk to people at the leading edge of health and wellness, and we emphasize the practical things you can do to improve your own health and wellness. You can find out more about our show by logging on to DawsonGift.com. This is my name, Dawson, D-A-W-S-O-N, DawsonGift.com, for access to all of the show's archives. And what I really recommend you do is you download a few of those that talk to you, speak to you, that intuitively you feel drawn to. Download those to your wireless mobile device. Download those to your laptop. And have them ready for those moments when you need inspiration, when you need a boost, when you need to change your mood, so that whenever you're less than great, whenever you're feeling down, Whenever you're feeling challenged, you have something right there at your fingertips or at your headset that's going to cheer you up and put you back on track. I know I do this every day. I read part of an inspirational book each day. It might be a modern inspirational book. It might be an ancient sacred text. But it is something to really orient myself to this field of reality that is always there of positivity, of high energy, of kindness, of compassion, of self-love. And so that when those things happen, when you get that email that knocks you off your game, when you get that phone call from maybe somebody who brings you unwelcome news, when you have that event that pulls you off base, do those things to bring yourself back on track as soon as possible. Don't let yourself suffer. Don't let yourself stay down in that place. Use something like an MP3 recording. Use something like an inspirational PDF. Use something like an ancient source to bring you back into that state of oneness with that place of happiness, kindness, and love that is your source. And again, you'll find all of those resources at DawsonGift.com. That's D-A-W-S-O-N, DawsonGift.com. Go there today, log on, and find the rich storehouse of free resources at that wonderful website. My guest today is Dr. Bill Bankston. Dr. Bankston is a professor of statistics and research methods and the president of the Society of Scientific Exploration. The International Group of Scientists who study anomalies, Dr. Bankston has been researching anomalous healing for over 35 years and has numerous publications in scientific journals. He has also lectured widely in the U.S., in Canada, and Europe. His memoir, memoir, called The Energy Cure, is published by Sounds True. And in this next hour, you're going to hear some remarkable studies he's done showing the effect of intention and healing energy and the practical effects that can have in physiology in the body. So it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, thanks a lot, Dawson. Glad to be here. So I know that some of the stories you're going to tell us, some of the research you've done, 
is going to leave people astounded. They certainly let me astounded when I first heard you present these in a scientific meeting a few years back. So just go ahead and share a little bit about what those results were and what you found when you began to do those animal experiments on the power of heating energy. Well, I was introduced uh, to healing uh, by having myself being healed, which is kind of rude for a skeptic. And and uh, so I used to have a, a very bad back, a chronic bad back. I had to give up a swimming scholarship and all that. And I had some guy who had just morphed into being a healer, put his hands on my back, and uh, the pain went away. I haven't had a pain uh, since. And it, it, uh, I was left then with essentially two choices. One, walk away and go scratch my head and go, well, that was weird or that was a coincidence or that was something. Or two, let's go get to the bottom of this thing. So I started by observing clinical healing, and I watched several hundred of them, primarily done by this uh, this guy who had morphed into a healer by himself, uh, and I found certain patterns going on. For example, benign growth didn't seem to respond. And my example that I, I often use is a wart. It couldn't do a wart. Malignant growth, cancer, would respond immediately and dramatically. And so I said, well, you know, what do you do with this? And you, you watch person after person after person get treated, and you watch results, and I don't have the brain power to try to figure out clinical results. You know, a person comes in, someone does the healing, person leaves, some time passes, person gets better. Was it, was it the healing? Is it the, the multivitamin they had? Was it the multivitamin they forgot to take? Was it the grapefruit? I mean, you don't know. And so I wanted to find out under very controlled conditions, is this thing, is this stuff for real? How much of this might be suggestion? How much of it might be something other than than uh, what was apparently going on? And so I went into the lab uh, with a friend of mine at City University of New York, and we were searching around and found a, a mouse model, a mammary cancer, that had several thousand publications behind it. And the essential plot is this. You have a mouse which is specially bred, and you have a particular cancer which is matched to that mouse. A certain number of cells are injected into the mouse. This is conventional biology. And then you watch the progression. And in the particular uh, cancer that we uh, started to glom onto, uh, the mammary cancer, 100% of mice that are injected with this cancer die within 27 days. And 100% of the mice in several thousand experiments die within 27 days. And if you're a conventional researcher in oncology, you try to figure out, is there any way I can extend the lifespan or get the bulk of the mice to live to older than they otherwise would have lived, things along those lines. And so we started to apply the healing technique uh, to these mice uh, to see what would happen. I expected, and this is going way back, that if healing were to happen, and we got to the mice soon after they were injected that they'd never developed cancer. So think of a bunch of mice in a cage. They're injected with cancer. Within about three days, we start putting our hands around the cage, doing a healing technique. And then maybe I was thinking of it kind of like radiation. You know, we zap the things and the cancer would never grow. But instead, the cancer grows. And when the cancer started to grow, I thought, well, this thing's not working. And I wanted to call off the experiment. I don't come to this as a believer. I got talked into extending this a little bit, a couple of days. So I treat the, the mice for a couple more days. Tumor keeps getting bigger. I want to call up the experiment. Talked out of it. Treated a couple more days. Tumor gets large. Then it developed an ulceration, tip of the tumor, and I'm really trying to call up the experiment. And to my utter astonishment, the tumor inflows and the mice are cured. They're not remitted, they're cured, and they live their normal lifespan. 
That is a very embarrassing outcome for a skeptic, I have to admit, Bill. And you know, we, we all do have those skeptical voices inside of ourselves. And then when you do have an experience like that you had of your, your back healing, you can't explain it away. You can't, you can't say that didn't happen. It happened to you and you felt something. That's why when I get asked a question, which I get asked very often, is how do you admit the skeptic? I say, don't try to admit them intellectually. Give them a self-experience of the body. That self-experience is able to convince them in a way in which intellectual arguments can't. And so you see these anomalous things happening in healing, and our explanatory abilities in science haven't caught up to them. What I try and argue that people should do is be patient with science, because it's not that the science will never explain those things, but it can't explain them now. There are no models to explain it right now. And so when you're a skeptic, you see these things happening, or feel them happening in your body, there's no way to get around them. And then things like, like the ones that, that, that you've done are so astonishing. So you have this, this result of these tumors imploding, these tumors becoming necrotic, pulling off, and then the mice living out their normal lifespan. But I know that's not the end of the story, so tell us what you went next. Oh, no, not at all. But let, let me do a, a, a quick sidebar on skepticism. I, I remain a skeptic. And by a skeptic, I mean, I, I don't... I. I've learned over doing research in this healing stuff for 35, 40 years, but I really don't know what I'm talking about. And, and my uh, ability to predict an outcome in a, of an experiment is very, I got a bad batting line. And what that means is not that healing doesn't continue to happen, but I don't really understand it. And frankly, I've, I've come into contact only with a handful of skeptics ever. I find I find that, that most people, and I can't really back that up, but most people are actually believers, and they believe either one way or the other. And so I have people who believe stuff is real, and I have people who believe stuff is impossible, and they look for evidence to back up their already existing beliefs. And so, for example, I've been invited to present data to a variety of skeptical societies, and, and I... I, I generally walk into a skeptic society and I begin by insulting them because it's my strength. Uh, but I, I go into a skeptic society and I say, I'm probably the only skeptic in the room. And then they get all harumpy and all this kind of thing. <laughs> and, 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 and they go, no, we're the such and such skeptic society. I say, no, you're not. You're a bunch of mindless believers. You already believe that all the stuff I haven't yet said is wrong. <laughs> I said, I'm the only skeptic. I don't know. Let's find out. And as you said, Dawson, let's experience the stuff and see what we really have. So There's a great quote by Winston Churchill, which says that, he said that most men stumble over the truth occasionally, but most pick themselves up and carry on as though nothing had happened. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I would agree with that completely. Uh, and, and so after, you know, I'm doing this for a zillion years, come to the conclusion that I don't know enough to make any predictions. I don't, I don't, I don't really need belief. I'm just going to go along and see where it takes me. And, and the stupid stuff won't stop. But I, I don't, I don't believe it. It just, it continues to happen. And so yeah. healing happens and I want to find out what's behind it. So as you say, it's not the end of the story. When, when the mice got cured, I mean, I was, I was just flabbergasted to say the least. But I said, initially, I mean, first thing we got to do is replicate it. And so I got some non-believing, to be that skeptical, skeptical faculty members and skeptical students, screened them for maximum skepticism, taught them healing techniques, gave them cancerous mice, same thing happened. Did it a third time. It changed labs. Give you an idea how skeptical I can be. I, I assume the lab was incompetent. Moved to a second lab, 
didn't again, didn't again at the second lab, moved to a third lab, moved to a fourth lab, moved to, I mean, at this point, you got to give up. I mean, even, even me, I'm a little slow, but after about 15 of these iterations, you got to say, okay, I give up. It's no longer an interesting question. There's healing happened. And the healing that happened is not remission of cancer, it's cure. We keep them for their entire lifespan, and they, 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 no mouse has ever had a recurrence of cancer, and it goes even farther. If we re-inject them with cancer, it won't take. Hmm. And so, essentially, they're immune to cancer for their entire life. So, that initial brush with cancer, that initial experience with cancer resulted in the mice being immune to subsequent injections of that same cancer. Yes. And, and so, my speculation, having no belief to defend, I'm just speculating, my speculation at this point is that in the case of cancer, healing, I think, is some sort of an informational transfer to the immune system. The organism now knows what to do with that cancer. And then so can I, do that in the case of subsequent cancers. Well, so far, we've only tested it with the same cancer. And, and it goes even a little bit farther than this. If you take a mouse in the process of a shrinking tumor, if we do histology on those tumors, there's still viable cancer cells there, but the cancer is shrinking. If we take cells from this shrinking cancer and we inject it into a fully infected mouse, it'll cure that mouse. Wow. That and is... it'll also destroy the cell line. Uh, so, and this, this, I mean, it, it just keeps going here. Uh, it, it, you, in order to get a cell line going, you, essentially it's living in an organism. You get a couple of mice sent to you from whatever lab has prepared this. It has already a tumor. You take the tumor, you grind it up, you have cancer cells, you feed it forward to the next generation. They grow the cancer, you feed it forward to the next generation. If we treat the mice, the cell line is dead. That is remarkable. And I am so curious, before we talk about the non-local aspects of this, what exactly were those healing techniques you used yourself at first, and then you talk to those students who were holding the infected mice. Uh, the healing techniques uh, would kill the rest of the of your program here to go into it in any details. So for, uh, I'll give you a, like a, a really small snapshot, and and let me also tell you that I have no proprietary secrets. Uh, I have published here here's what the healing techniques are. I have uh, a seat, and I'm not doing this for sale. I have a CD set from Sounds True that, that is uh, entitled Hands-On Healing, a training course in the Energy Cure, which is geared for drill practice um, and, and, and learn the methods, you know, that kind of thing. I also teach workshops in, uh, for people to come and learn how to do this stuff. And, and again, not for the purpose of sales, but just to say all this information is out there. I got one coming up next month in Marina County. I have one a couple of months later in Chicago. You know, like that. You can see that stuff on my website. But the short version, it's a very rapid imaging technique that seems to produce some pretty interesting changes in the brain. But it's a, it's a very, very, very rapid imaging technique. Essentially, in, in a, the shortest nutshell, people make up a list of very specific things that they want. The things that they want can't be vague generalities, like I want to be happy. I don't know what that means. If you ask people what they want, they generally come up with three things. They always say the same thing. I want to be happy, I want to be healthy, and I want money. None of those things can be on your list. Happiness is too vague. If you say, uh, if I had uh, this such and such car, that would make me happy. It's an end product. I think that the car will make me happy. I want money. Why do you want money? I want to buy a car. Well, it's the car you want. 
I want to be happy. What will make me happy? It's a car. What's the car you want? You know, et cetera, et cetera. So okay. things, you're putting down things on a list which you now don't have. I want, it, it, in the case of health, a vague idea, I want to be healthy, is actually, I think, a negative in my, in my term. If you are healthy and you seek health, the only way to get something which is a contrast will be to make yourself sick. So let's say I, I have bad knees. No, I actually don't. But let's say I have bad knees. So I would have an image of myself playing tennis. Or I would have an image of myself doing mogul. Or I would have an image of something which implies that, this, that the bad knees no longer exist. So in, in effect, I'm looking at this as a future address. There is a world, there's a reality, there's a universe out there where I have bad knees, and there's a universe out there where I don't have bad news. So in one universe, I'm doing mogul. In another universe, or maybe in the same universe, I have this fancy car. In this, I have this, I have this, I have So it's very concrete things. And these, this takes quite a bit of practice. you got to have about 20, record 94. And you go through these images very, 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 very quickly. And you would never believe how fast you can do it. And you do this in consort when you have an emotion, regardless of what that emotion is. So I'm happy, I'm cycling, image cycling. I'm angry, I'm image cycling. I'm having a conversation, I'm image cycling. I'm listening to music, I'm image cycling. But it's always an end product to what I call a future address, and this is the place that I want to be teleologically drawn toward. In the okay. case of mice, how do you heal cancerous mice? Well, I train, say I train five people for a particular experiment. I train them in some detail for about six weeks, they get a bunch of mice. They're all nervous about this. None of these people are believers. One of the things on their list will be us posting each other in my living room. If we're posting each other in my living room, we had a successful experiment. How do you see mice? Toast in a living room. That is the image you have. And then as you flash that image or those images through your mind, are uh, then holding the mice. And that is then the essence of how you're able to shift something. Well, this one that something is soon, because the whole notion of energy fields is a remarkable one, and there's more and more evidence that is appearing that these energy fields are real, that they can transmit information as well as energy from person to person, and we'll cover that in the next segment. Please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. My guest today is Dr. Bill Bankston. You can find out more about his work at bankstonresearch.com. And download all the show's resources at DawsonGift.com. We'll be right back after a break. Hi, and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church. I encourage you to check out more of our shows. In fact, we have not only past archives and downloadable MP3s available for free on our website, we also have things like our instructions for eco-meditation, a very simple meditation technique that we're now doing research on, which has been shown now to lower cortisol. It raises your immune system function. It also lowers blood pressure and heart rate, and it has a whole bunch of beneficial physiological effects as well as psychological effects. So those instructions are on my website, DawsonGift.com. That's my name, Dawson, D-A-W-S-O-N, DawsonGift.com. Go there, get the meditation instructions to get 
the archives of previous shows, and did a whole host of valuable resources. My guest today is Dr. Bill Bankston, and we've been talking in the past segment about his remarkable experiments with mice and how he was a skeptic himself, how he then was healed of his back problems, how he then began to see the effects of healing energy and intention on mice, and then did these experiments which showed that the tumors in those mice disappeared. He then described elements of his technique, which has to do with cycling images rapidly through your mind while you're having that healing intent, and how those have to be specific and measurable, vivid images that you have going through your mind. I'm just curious, Bill, before we go into more layers of levels of your research, what were some of the other images you might have about the mice healing besides hosting the success of the experiment in your living room later on? Uh, that's really it. Uh, you don't, as much as possible, uh, the cycling should have a future address implying that the whole thing is done. So, again, I go back to the example of someone has bad knees. Uh, they have a tendency to focus on their knees. And I, I want to get it to what is it that you're unable to now do. If you're doing that, it implies the knees are better. If we're toasting in the living room, we've had a successful experiment. If you're doing a healing, uh, whether it be on a, a person or an animal or whatever it might be, the last thing I ever want someone to do is to be focusing on the illness or focusing on the person. I want you to be living sometime in some future address. Yes, okay. And in that future address, the thing has already happened. So go ahead then and, and let us know where those experiments went next. Well, the, the establishment that healing happens and healing can cure cancer uh, it took a number of years uh, because, I mean, a complete mouse experiment takes about two years to make sure the thing never comes back, etc., etc. And I did a whole bunch of these. I think I have about 15 of them so far in maybe seven or eight different labs. And I don't even trust labs to be competent to do the research right. Uh, I want to make sure that independent labs get the exact same stuff. Then the question comes, and I, I mean, I think at this point, and, and certainly the people who listen to your show, by now they have to understand healing happens. You know, the only other, the only way to, someone could say there's no such thing as this kind of hocus-pocus healing, you have to have your head in the sand. So healing happens. The question isn't does it happen. The question is what are the rules or what are the patterns of it happening? So is there a dose response? Do I need to, if I treat the mice for an hour, is that uh, better than if I treat the mice for a half hour, if I treat them once a week, three times a week, five times a week, does that matter? Does it matter if the treatment are 15 minutes, a half hour, 45 minutes? Does it matter whether you treat five mice at a time or ten mice at a time? I mean, you get, you get all the permutations which are possible. And so it turns out that even working out dose response is a, is a pretty difficult problem. We, we, we did an experiment once in a cancer lab where we did the entire lab and this we're not allowed in the state anymore, but, but it, it was, we found that the smaller the animal, the faster it got cured. So mice get, get cured faster than rats. Rats get, get cured faster than, and you can just work your way up in terms of body mass. But body mass is also related to physiology. So one of the questions was, is there a dose that's related to the mass of the organism so does it matter whether there's five mice at a time, ten mice at a time, fifteen mice at a time, like that? And it turns out it didn't. And the only thing that matters in terms of the, the collective speed 
of everything getting cured is the number of mice in an experiment. The more mice in an experiment, the faster they all get cured. So 75 mice will get better faster than 25 mice, which will get better faster than 10 mice, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think this has to do with a resonant bonding and is actually backing your way into a dose-response question. Uh, and, and that was gobbledygook for, if you have 75 mice, you're doing an awful lot of treatment. So you got, you know, limit usually of five mice to a cage and do the math. You know, you're doing a lot of treatment just to make it through all 75 mice. I think that treatment to one mouse is a treatment to all the mice. So 75 mice, although by the formal protocol they're only getting a certain number of minutes, if you're treating all the mice and you're doing all sorts of cases, they're actually getting a monstrous dose of healing. And the more mice you have, the more just numerical treatments there are, and it seems to faster all of them collectively get better. Now, this is in the aggregate. To the individual mice, it's much more complicated. So if we have, let, let's just, as a thought experiment, I've got two mice in a cage, usually there's more, but let's have two mice in a cage, and Dawson, you're the healer. So you treat the cage, not the mouse. You never touch a mouse. You have your hands around a cage. You're doing the image cycling. You're doing all that. Well, one of your mice, which is in the exact same environment as the other mouse, one mouse can get better faster uh, than the other one. And, and the fact it can be by two and a half. So one mouse will be cured in 20 days. The other mouse in the cage, again, identical healer, identical circumstance, identical litter, identical genes, identical number of cancer cells, will take two and a half times as long to get better. We statisticians call that unexplained variance, and that's simply gobbledygook for, boy, I have no idea why that happened. <laughs> unexplained variance, love it. Yeah, and, and but you see, if you do that with people, it's, it's, I've seen this, and it's just it's one of those things that drives me up a wall. Person one gets better real quick, you know, so if, for example, my back gets better real quick. I, my back was fixed in one treatment. That's, that's pretty rare. Someone else comes in with a back pain to the same healer, and it takes, let's assume, two and a half times as long. And then you look to the person and say, well, your fault. You know, you didn't believe, or you believed, or you didn't believe the right way, or you didn't do this, or you didn't do that. You know, so you're not responding to the treatment. It's got to be you. That drives me up the wall. So yes. The same thing happens, the same patterns of human variants happen in mice, and it also happens in cell cultures. Let's talk about that when we come back after a break. You're listening to High Energy Health. My guest today is Dr. Bill Bankston. You've heard more about his work at BankstonResearch.com. BankstonResearch.com. And check out his memoir, The Energy Cure, as well as his new hands-on healing CD set, also by Sound True. We'll be right back after a break. Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and my guest today is Dr. Bill Bankston. You can find out more about the show at our website, DawsonGift.com. Go to DawsonGift.com and log on there, and you'll find past shows. You'll find a free downloadable copy of the EFP mini manual. You'll find our instructions for eco meditation. You'll also find many, many audio programs that you can access, and these are a wonderful way of saving your awareness, saving your consciousness in positive ideas, positive images, positive 
healing messages that you can use to improve your world, improve your mood, improve your health. We've been talking over the last segment about the whole idea of using consciousness for healing, and Dr. Bankson was talking about how you imagine the healing complete and in the past. You aren't focused on the problem, you're focused on the future scenario in which the problem is solved and the healing has occurred. That, uh, though, by necessity means you have to train your consciousness to do that. Yeah, my healing technique is uh, really annoying. Uh, I, I've, I've come into contact with people who, who will tell me that they've learned the, the XYZ healing technique and they can things instantly and, you know, they can do all the things. Mine, they're better than me. Uh, mine is a pain uh, to learn. It takes an enormous amount of practice. It's a drill in practice. It has nothing to believe, uh, but it's extremely rapid imaging. And by extremely rapid, Imagine that you have an image of uh, we're toasting the success of the experiment. The next image is not connected. It's me driving my new car. The next image is not connected. It's me hitting a backhand tennis ball. Uh, the next image is not connected. So if you ran these sequentially, it would make a very bad movie. Uh, there's no plot. And these things are flashing through your, your head at an extremely rapid and by extremely rapid, to go at several hundred images a second would be slow. You focus intensely, you focus your consciousness intensely on that flow of images. The flow is what you're going at. The images are going so fast, you can't pull any of the focus. And so you spend a large amount of time setting this thing up, getting the details of the images embedded into your head, and then you're flying through them very, very quickly in the way that after drill and practice, it becomes second nature. So it's like learning any other skill. If I if I give you a tennis lesson and I feed you a backhand, you'll probably swing and miss the first time. And after 500 of these things, you may get a shot in. Another 500 swings at it, you may put it in the, in the direction you want it to go. And another 500 after that. And as you're learning muscle memory, you're letting go. And if you're playing tennis, you're in a flow. If you're in a flow, you're not really conscious you're following yourself as an observer. Follow similar patterns. Any expertise or any mastery of anything is a transition from mindful to mindless. When I first learned to walk, I'm mindfully walking. And then you're a little kid and you transition into mindless walking. So then you can walk and talk and gesture and do those things. Everybody's had the experience of learning to drive and you're trying to keep within the, the line, but that after a certain length of time, you can miss the last 25 miles. Well, that doesn't mean you're dangerous. It means that you're mastering driving and now you're mindless. Cycling goes from mindful to mindless and healing goes from mindful to mindless. Successful healing, in my opinion, is mindless. Your problem is to get out of the way and let healing happen. I know what you mean, because I teach many live workshops every year, and one of the things that I find is when we ask for, for a demonstration subject to sit in front of the room with me, they come up and they tell me their, their problems, and their problems often are international medical conditions. So we had a man recently who had a 80% hearing loss in one ear after a stroke. And so there he is, he's got a diagnosis, recent stroke, recent hearing loss. I mean, just, this is just a fact and his, from his point of view. This is a system of me, though. I am seeing him as... <laughs> I, I believe in about his hearing loss, because I actually had to move my chair to the other side so I could you hear me, but, but I have this vision of him as whole person complete. I hear the story, I hear the limitation, 
Yeah, part of me is, is totally sympathetic and tuned in. Part of me doesn't believe it. Part of me is totally open to the possibility of, of complete healing. And I know that, that in, in that particular case, that guy, a very, very, very short period of time, was just absolutely astonished that he could hear the, the waves breaking on the shore down below, which he hadn't been able to hear for over 30 years. And so that, I, I know that I, I've seen the experience where you're, you're, you're sitting with a person, you, you are in the state of, of, of all these possibilities, and you, you hear their story, you know they believe their story, and yet you aren't as convinced about their story as they are. Yeah. My mental imaging technique is a gimmick. I mean, it's not sacred. It's not in nothing like that. And it, it gets you to uh, an end point. I think probably there's, uh, I don't know, unlimited numbers of ways to get to that same end point. So there are probably folks who can hold an image and produce a result. I don't hold an image, but I can produce the result. So what does a session with a human subject look like? Well, it varies. In the case of animal research, of course, you're following a formal protocol. In the case of humans, you're, you're doing clinical work, and you're, in, in my opinion, you should do whatever it takes to get get the person to get the person help. I have treated people for fix the problem in under five minutes, and that's actually pretty embarrassing. I've had people come who are geographically undesirable. You know, they fly in from Europe. You know, five minutes later, they're done. It's like, well, that was a long trip. You know. Give me a break. And other people take almost unbelievable amounts of treatments. And this goes to the unexplained variants. Uh, and, and so people with seemingly the same conditions, some get better very quick, some take a long, some need multiple treatments in a week, some that go at longer intervals. And, and there's no formal rules for this. There's, there's not one size fits all. This goes in large sense, in, as in most clinical cases, certain gut reaction built on experience. In my case, the people I've trained, some people do it live and they put their hands on, and there's other people who I've trained who won't put hands on, and they'll only do treatment from a distance. And so, so is the healer holding those images, those psyche images, is oh, patient to both of them? No, the healer is doing their own selfish list. I think all healing should be selfish. Uh, everything in my system is selfish. When someone says, hey, you're a selfish liberty blip, I say thank you because I take it as a compliment, but if you're healing, you're healing because you want to, and so the outcome for the healee is getting better is selfish to you. You want that to happen. The healee presumably wants it to happen too, and so everybody's winning in this from a selfish point of view. I'm having my cycling list is my cycling list. The healer's uh, cycling list, the healee's cycling list is idiosyncratic to them. When they get their car, they take it off the list, because otherwise it's negative. Oh, so they're having those thoughts about their own life, not necessarily about the healing of the client. Oh, no, 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 no. So you got you got 20 different things on the list in the records 94, and the healee is doing their moguls and hitting their backhands and doing whatever else that, that, that we have, but it's for them. Uh, presumably, one of the things on their list has to do with their physical condition or their physical problems, but the healer may or may not have an image of the healee on the list at all. You're just doing this to do this. And are you collecting case histories, or is there some kind of archive where these stories are being collected so we can perhaps start to determine oh, what sure. the common themes are? Oh, absolutely. Um, the, first of all, I can tell you that what happens when you do this, when you do the rapid image studying, I've, I've got functional MRI data, EEG data. It's, it's reasonably interesting. Now, one of the things that happens, you know, you talk about healing at a distance. Well, I have, as far as I know, the first phase locking of brains at a distance. So I cycle and I, and there's going to be a measurable change in your brain. I've published it. 
uh, the, the analog would be the heart math folks where the heart's going to resonance uh, bonding. Well, uh, mm-hmm. you can get brains to go into resonance bonding too. Now, the reality is neither of us know whether the brains have anything to do with healing. So, Bill, hold that thought. We need to go to a break right now, but I want to fix one up when we come back because having a kind of experimental verification is very powerful and telling. So, thank you. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. And for more about Bill's work, go to bankstonresearch.com. For previous shows, go to dawsonsgift.com. And please do stay tuned as we pick up more of this fascinating conversation after a break. Welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and my guest today is Dr. Bill Bankston. You can see more about Bill's schedule, about his work, about his CD sets, about his memoir, The Energy Cure, and all of the other fascinating details about what he does at his website, BanktonResearch.com. That's BanktonResearch.com. And then for our archives, including many downloadable MP3s of people that will inspire you, will amaze you, will support your health and well-being, go to the website DawsonGift.com. That's D-A-W, DawsonGift.com. Go to DawsonGift.com. That's where you'll find meditation tracks. You'll find the instructions for tapping the EFP mini manual, and you'll find all of the past shows at DawsonGift.com. Please go there today and do yourself a favor of having those resources ready for the next time you need them. So I'd like to hear some stories from you, if possible, about people who have received these types of healing sessions and what happens with their issues, with their health, with their their diseases. Well, the, the variation in people roughly responds to the variation in mice, in the sense that there's wide variation of things. But the, the tendency, here we're talking about a few hundred case studies. With people, I mean, I have this, this standard joke, I can't do a wart, but I can't do a wart, but I can do cancer. And other healing techniques do warts, but they don't do cancer. I think that's one of the great researched areas, comparative healing techniques. Why does somebody do this and not that? And why does one technique produce that and not this? Now, having said that, uh, I've trained a number of people, uh, and a lot of people who come to my workshops are already card-carrying healers, you know, uh, and they come with whatever their clinical arsenal is of this technique and that technique. And so they're able to do things I can't, and I'm able to do things they can't, but like a good clinician, they're, they're getting another piece for their arsenal. So a patient comes in, and the patient has a ward, well, you're not going to use the Bankston technique because you, you, you're going to crap out. If, you, if the patient comes in and has cancer, you're probably going to want to use the Bankston technique. We find out uh, just clinically that there's a number of things that seem to respond very, very quickly and dramatically. Cancer, obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, Alzheimer's, cataracts, give you some examples. But there's things that don't seem to respond. So I've used my example of a wart, but there's other things that nobody who's used my technique has been able to fix so far. Parkinson's. The Parkinson's thing bugs me. So you have somebody with Parkinson's, and they come in, and they're sick, and they have shakes, and they have this and that and the other thing, and we treat them. And by we, I'm talking about more than myself. We, we treat them, and the, the symptoms 
reduced for a short period of time, but there's nothing to get all opinion about. You know, they're certainly not fixing the Parkinson's. So why is it that cancer goes and Parkinson's doesn't? And we have a kind of a sense, and it's kind of like a working hypothesis, the things that need to be, at least metaphorically, down-regulated are easier to fix than things that need to be up-regulated. Hmm, interesting. So if you have inflammation, the inflammation is going to go away almost immediately. So I've got data from Wake Forest uh, Medical School. I've taken in vitro stuff, traditional cell lines. You put your hands around. All the inflammation goes out of the cells almost immediately, much stronger than any other technique. And I mean healing technique. I mean you can't reproduce it. So inflammation simply goes away. But if you need something, and so if you're a Parkinson's person, you're not producing something that needs to be produced. That seems to be harder. If you've got Alzheimer's, you've got inflammatory plaques in the brain, Alzheimer's response. If you've got age-related dementia, it doesn't respond so much. So age-related dementia, you're just old and getting tired. If you've got Alzheimer's, you have a disease, and you have something that needs to be taken away. We seem to be better in my technique with taking things away than giving something that's not there. So we'll take diabetes, for example. I gave a whole bunch of treatments to a, an elderly gentleman with very severe diabetes. He had had it for a whole bunch of decades. He was completely blind. He were, had body parts removed, you know, the whole thing like that, just as bad as you can get. And I was able only to give him about 50% of his sight back and about a 50% reduction in insulin. Now, he was pretty happy about that because he got 50% of the sight back, but to me, he was a failure. In other words, he didn't fix. I'm not looking to help. I'm looking to fix. Diabetes, I want to do diabetes on an animal model because we can control uh, extraneous variables much easier. Doesn't seem to fix. Parkinson's, eh. Cancer, yep. Now, well, that's, uh, of course, the nature of science. It's something you discover that things happen only much later. You discover why they happen. So I'm so delighted to have you here. I am just inspired by your work. I know everyone listening today is as well. I'm I'm so thankful you're doing what you're doing and showing the way. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Dawson. Find out more about Bill's work at bankstonresearch.com and find our archives, including many downloadable free resources at dawsonskip.com. That is my name, Dawson, D-A-W-S-O-N, dawsonskip.com. Please come back next week for more fascinating pointers you can apply in your own health and well-being.